Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast and this season on Education Transform. Today, we have a wonderful guest and a good friend of mine, Lasse Leponiemi, who is the executive director at 100 based out of Finland. He's actually the co-founder and executive director uh, of this Finnish mission-driven organization, which is dedicated to helping every single child in life flourish by giving them access to the best possible education innovations. They've been doing some wonderful work in over 100 countries now with networks of innovators and implementers. And as you'll hear, he's pretty passionate about kind of future, the youth orientation, and has worked in all sorts of different settings since 2006, although he looks very young, I have to say, Lasse, you look great. He's got an MBA in educational leadership from Tampere University of Applied Sciences, and he joins us from Helsinki today. Lasse, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Luca. And you know, it's a, it's fantastic what you can, can do with those AI filters these days. So, <laughs> so you can smoothen out the skin and, you know, you can, you can, you can sound wherever you want, Absolutely. but you can maybe also look wherever you want. So, it's, so oh I, I, I was, you know, I was wondering, should I go, go with a frog face or rabbit <laughs> or, you know, something, but let's, let's give it as it is. Well, I really, well, I think let's say one thing I'm learning because this is my first question to you, is that you might not be Lasse, you might be an AI spun up version of Lasse. And, you know, AI has broken kind of content verification this year. But uh, what is one thing that you're learning through the work that you do, really at global levels around education, innovation and beyond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you know, you know, one of the key things we do, we identify education innovations. And at the moment, we are actually in the middle of a, uh, a review process of the global collection for 2024. So yeah. even though the next year is still quite far away, we are already kind of like identifying new solution practices around the world. And and as we were discussing before the call, uh, it actually is very much trending at the moment, like what you can do with AI in in the field of education. Yeah. And and then the second second big piece, which has been remaining for the last few years, is the well-being of students and teachers. So I think like those are kind of like the key things we are looking at, looking at with our education innovation research at the moment, and then how you combine those things with different things. So we are, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in Bangladesh, we are trying to identify edtech solutions that work in well-being, and 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 together with the. Uh, Finnish gaming company Supercell. We are actually looking gamified curriculums. Uh, ah, interesting. So how you can not only have a single, you know, play-based application or game game intervention for the learning, but can you actually gamify the way the school operates oh, and how that will wow. affect the learning and the whole school community? So those are those are some of the new things we are having on on our plate at the moment. And let's see what comes out of them. Right, it's fantastic. I really, I love. I really do love the work of 100 and I think the way that you've thought for a long period of time and this season, as you know, is in collaboration with Salzburg Global Seminar of of which we're both fellows and it's on education transformed, kind of in like a past tense. And so I wonder, you know, with what you're seeing around the emergent themes, what does this idea of a transformed education really mean to you as opposed to maybe like an improved education or like more iterated, you know, what's that kind of mean for for you as an educationalist, for you as someone that is really at the forefront of this education innovation space? Yeah, I think like all of this started maybe five years ago. Yeah. So that 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 is the moment when I remember hearing for the first time somebody using transform as as a way 
describe what we should be doing for education. And I actually quite a lot like the word because mm. if you are thinking about reimagining or kind of like somehow completely <laughs> like mm. blowing up the existing system and then building it back better, in many cases, that is just not possible, you know, like, but when we are transforming something, we are taking the existing elements, we are somehow modifying them, we are improving them. We might be, you know, letting something go and then picking up something new. But eventually, like we are still saying that the purpose of the education remains as important as it has been. We don't mm. have to reimagine that, but we can kind of like improve the ways uh, how we operate or how we help students to learn. And, and and that's kind of like how I'm approaching the transformation discussion. Mm. And, and then when we work with the global education innovators, something that I'm actually quite happy to see around the world, mm. many of these education providers, uh, ministries, other kind of like uh, governmental organizations are now discussing a lot more about the multidisciplinary subjects like yeah. creative thinking, social emotional learning, yeah. um, media literacy. And, and those are not anymore seen as a competing elements within the curriculum. They are seen as a complementing elements for the traditional subjects. And we are starting to understand that as the AI uh, is shaping the way how we operate, how the societies mm. are changing. We have to be building those new skills and competencies to the students, so yeah. they so that they can, you know, succeed in 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 the future, work life and personal life. Yeah, mate. I there's a lot to click on there, but I I want you. I just I want to just bring us back to one thing you said before, like the idea of letting some things go, because clearly the work of hundred and you you know, it's, it's looking at the kind of the emerging future, which are these in, innovative models across all contexts, you know, low income, high income, majority world, minority world, et cetera. What are some things that in your view, you know, cause you could almost have like a, an anti hundred, right? Get this, which is like the, it, like legacy practices that <laughs> so, are so we ready. Like, so we ready every year, 100 solutions from the world. Yeah. Well, from the past, be, should no longer new. be taken. You know, wouldn't yeah. that be an interesting counter? Do you know what I mean? Like, but, like, what what are some of the things when you clearly you see what's emerging? What do you think we need to let go of across our education systems? Mm -hmm. That 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 might be actually the most difficult conversation that everybody is trying to avoid in the field of education. So, yeah. for example, every time we are part of the curriculum development discussions, people are always saying that, and then we need to act this, but yeah. nobody dares to say. But actually, we have to take something out. And yeah. uh, as we are kind of like thinking about it, you know, we we still have 24 hours in a day and we still have the, you know, some amount of days in a school year. Mm. So we have to take something out. We cannot only add new things. Mm. And, and that's kind of like the very, very challenging thing for us to understand. But it's also a very political discussion. Yeah. When we go to a different countries and we work with different systems, Many, you know, teachers might be feeling worried if we if if we have a discussion what should we reduce from the from the curriculum because yeah. it means eventually somebody will lose a lesson that they have been teaching for a classroom for maybe decades. Yes. But I, what I how I would actually kind of like approach this is that how we should shape the way mm. uh, or how how we facilitate the learning in the classroom. So already now we kind of like see. Let's think about ICT classes, for example. So when we are learning like different kind of IT skills, uh, 
those those classes has been transforming throughout the last decades. So nobody is anymore, you know, using those old softwares that were used maybe in in early two thousand or late late nineties in a school context. Yeah. But we are using something different. So in a similar way, we should be modifying the content we 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 are having in in our curriculum. So now when we are, for example, approaching if we kind of like keep uh, talking about the AI, yeah. um, we should be maybe kind of like adding stuff, how you can use AI in in a mindful way mm. to support you learning and support you doing the work you should be doing. Because all of us most likely will be using some kind of AI solutions to support us and help us to navigate through our professional and, and, and personal lives in mm. the future. Mm. Whether it's the Google navigation in your phone or something which is using the data to create the most optimized route for you yeah and and we should understand how those things work but then what we should take out of the uh, picture is maybe like how much it makes sense to learn something by heart Mm. how much it makes sense to uh, use a lot of time uh, to to kind of like learn very deeply uh, some existing uh, solutions or applications or yeah. lang- like this kind of like technical languages, um, or would it make more sense to try kind of like trying to understand how these things have been created? What are the structures behind of those? And and for sure, we need to have those basic skills also in the future. We cannot kind of like skip, you know. Uh, literacy skills or numeracy skills yeah but then are we able to change the way how we learn those skills mm. that's interesting thing for me because it might be so that we are able to accelerate the learning or maybe we should actually pause on some some mm. some 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 things or some kind of a, like uh, learning situations more for example when we are learning socio-emotional skills yeah um and actually a concept I was discussing with one of our 100 innovators, Deepak Ramola from Project 12. Mm-hmm. And, and he said something interesting because in a, in a startup world, in an innovation world, we often talk about MVPs, yeah. minimum viable products. And Deepak was saying like, I have been creating a new way to approach MVP. And for me, it's these days most valuable pause. And I uh, think like when we are very, you know, busy in our lives, interesting. I think like something that we should be kind of like learning is to have those pauses, uh, how, how we, you know, stop for, for a moment and we think, and, and, and if I would need to add something to the curriculum, maybe that is a skill I would like to like to kind of like underline the importance of it, because it also helps with the emotional and uh, well-being. Oh, Lasse, where do we start with that answer? I look, man. Well, first of all, I see. I, I changed the whole question and answered, you know, whatever <laughs> I wanted. So. No, mate, it's fine. <laughs> this was this was like doing a case case facilitation <laughs> for a panel discussion where he was yeah. saying, like, you can answer to this question or any other question you were thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, it really. There's a lot of powerful themes there. This let's start with the pause aspect. You know, because I'm a big fan of Andrew Huberman and the Huberman Lab, you know, and he's a neuroscientist at Stanford. And he really talks about the power of pause. Even a 10 second pause in the middle of a learning activity kind of gives your brain time to catch up and then and then like the dendrites in the neural pathways, the neurogenesis that's going on in your brain to actually map. 
And yet so rarely do we find space to pause anymore because we'll fill it with entertainment or with information or we just get our phone out. You know, there was a time, I think you and I are both old enough, just to remember when, you know, you'd be standing in a line for something and you would talk to the person next to you because you were present to the kind of world you were in. Yeah. Whereas now, yeah, why not? Whereas now you're talking, but to people you know, connecting with people all over the place. And it does, it adds something, but it removes something. And this most valuable pause idea is so interesting, not least of all, because of the open letter, of course, that was written by a lot of the AI researchers. We're, we're recording this in May. And AI, of course, is exploding around us. You know, and they said, we need to pause AI development for six months so we can work out the ethical frame. Now, I'm an optimist, but I'm not optimistic that that's going to take place. But this idea of the pause is a really beautiful way to think about about the purpose of schools and the purpose of education as being kind of truly human-centered, you know, and your piece around, yes, literacy and numeracy, but how they are learnt and the kind of the art of learning, not just the science of it, you know, like mm-hmm. that's what yeah, I'm really and how, you, about. how do you make that personalized? How do you make personalized for, for the students, but also for teacher? And that's also maybe kind mm. of like another aspect that we don't talk enough in my opinion yeah. we talk a lot about personalized learning and yeah. we kind of like see that that's something that should take place as a part of the like the learning facilitation and the process of learning but yeah. what we do not talk about that much is that like how do we do personalized teaching uh-huh. because as much as the students are having you know their own um, ways of learning so do the teachers have and so do teachers have the most efficient and, and, and great ways to facilitate the learning process. Uh, and, and, I, and, and when we are discussing like how these different solutions, uh, applications, learning backend systems might benefit the students, uh, I think it would be very crucial to also think like how those can take the kind of like to, to give the room to the best learning facilitation the teacher can be giving in in that situation and how they can guide the teacher and how it can be part of their professional development as we are talking about that our students should be lifelong learners so should we and and that's kind of like something that kind of like uh, excites me quite a bit we did a spotlight on a formative assessment so assessment about learning and assessment how how the students can learn the best in different situations and i think that kind of like uh, professional development should be should be kind of like much more present for the teachers because then that can that can kind of like open up totally new kind of avenues for learning mm. um, and and it can give room for having those pauses so having kind of like more focus time on on some certain things which can be because that data would be available for us if yeah. we would know where to look at and and uh, sometimes in education sector we talk about big data yeah. and i actually uh, i'm not a big fan of the big da- data yeah. i actually think that small data might be much more valuable in the classroom setting because that small data can help us to understand how do different students in the classroom learn what kind of things uh, they they find challenging or difficult but if we only look at Thick numbers. Yes. We lose those nuances, which are very, very important when we are trying to personalize the learning. 
And 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 that's something that I hope that people would remember when they are thinking about how to utilize data as a part of the learning process. I, I love that so much, Lasse. This the power of small data, you know, and to really understand the story. And I do think we are somewhat, I guess, like allured by big data and think, wow, that's I've got these data points, and this is the whole country or the whole state or the whole school. But of course, it doesn't really inform us from the formative perspective. Like, well, okay, what are the behaviors as an educator that we need to put in place for this learner at this moment. And I guess this piece on personal, I really like your reflection on, you know, um, personal teaching, personalized teaching. That's such a powerful thing. It's the same, of course, with well-being in in our work, we've noticed, you know, people were obsessed with student well-being. Well, that's critical, but it's not the whole, it's not the whole piece. It's a human organization. So how does it become a well-being oriented ecosystem, right? That's got obviously like rigor and stretch and struggle, but ultimately it's got flourishing at its core and collective flourishing. Because if a teacher is burnt out, they're not going to be able to teach their best to students and maximize student well-being. And yet we've kind of, I think, take like engaged in this Faustian bargain where that's what we do. You know, kind of the teachers sacrifice themselves for the academic outcomes of the young people as opposed to everyone thinking about this in a more holistic way. Uh, we, we had a great conversation about agency as well, Lasse, and I'd like I like us to kind of visit the future for this little piece because our work at the Learning Future, we, you know, we're really interested in what are the principles that are emerging, and of course, how do you apply those to school design and strategic design, or you know, kind of the future of leadership skills or whatever the case might be. And so, you look at things like agency, for example, which for me is just a construct that will be one of the leading constructs into the future of learning. Like, can young people self-direct, self-determine their learning and self-determination theory? But of course, we forget about the educators once more. We like, yeah, student agency, yeah. But actually, what about the agency of an educator within a system? Do they feel empowered to do their best work consistently? If not, why not? How do we create a liberatory structure and system in that that can kind of not be so hierarchical or lockstep? Well, what's your reflections and your work, you know, across the world about that the agency that that kind of needs to be activated? I guess. Um, with educators as well as with young people. If we think about the word, word agency, it means that you know you are self-directing yourself and you are feeling belonging uh, to the environment and the circumstances where you operate, right? Yeah. But then something that is missing from that word is how does your behavior and the way you operate and the way you act in that environment affect to others. Mm. So I think like the key thing to add here is co-agency. Right. So when we are working as a, as a, as a social unit, uh, when we are working as a, as a group of people, whatever we do always affect to others. And sometimes we might be reading, you know, from the newspapers or from social media that somebody has been really having agency for the activities they have been doing in a neighborhood, but they haven't been really paying attention how that will affect to others. They might have been parking their car somewhere in the wrong place or they have been, you know, throwing their trash out because that has helped, you know, them. But then somebody else needs to be picking those things and, you know, taking care of that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if we think about co-agency, then we are seen as responsible together to create something 
and work as as a one kind of like united uh, group mm. of people towards the same common goals. Mm. And I think that's very important. And as a as a even younger education professional, I was once visiting, mm-hmm. which maybe seven years ago in one Finnish school, then we were discussing about co-teaching uh, because it was a part of the new core curriculum of Finland that was introduced in 2016. Yeah. And then there was this a little bit older history teacher who took the USB driver from his pocket and said like, young man, why would I borrow this USB stick to anyone else in my school? It has all my exams, all my course materials, everything I have been building in last 30 years. Why would I give this to, would give this to someone because it, it belongs to me? Um, and it kind of like really clearly underlines yes that like how in in this kind of like if you are if this is the culture you are having yeah it's very challenging to create a sense of belonging working together and introducing even a teamwork if everybody are so afraid of giving something out that they have been creating and hoping that in return they might be actually receiving something that they would not know how to do. Mm. And I think that's the key. When we think about co-agency, it's not only about doing whatever you want and 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 and, and create kind of a like that kind of like a yeah. very individual around you. Yeah. Individualistic way of, of 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 being and doing. Yeah. Actually we have to be letting go some of the mm. power, some of our own decisions in order to be able to have a healthy relationships mm. and good working uh, team spirit, work culture, school culture, yeah. wherever we are. So, so, so it's it's not one way street, and yeah. we have to have like we have to have an active dialogue with others. And for that reason, mm. I would always like to add co agency uh, to that. That's great. I mean, I think. It's a wonderful reflection, I think, Lasse. And I, I think about the Education 2030 project as well from the OECD and their learner compass, which is co-agency really built into it. And not surprisingly, a lot of the work that we do is co-design because, you know, similarly, it's, uh, you know, is is a principal designing a plan and then giving it to the team or, or, you know, a teacher's designing a unit and then giving it to the students as opposed to all of us kind of using our collective wisdom, intelligence, experience to build something that unique because it has all of our consciousness and our perspectives baked into it. We find it the most powerful way to enable transformation in schools, particularly around strategic design and cultural shifts. This idea of co, you know, that there is no, there is no real separation as much as we pretend that there might be, you know, we live in a system. And and, and there are kind of like, yeah. And there are kind of like good examples. Like if we forget to do co-designing, and we do a classroom design. Mm. And then, you know, the students are coming back to a classroom and the architect has been thinking that I will put the sink behind the door when it's opened up. So it's not, you know, in a way, and and, and then it doesn't, op- like it's, it's not, you know, something that you will see the first time you come in. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when the students come in and they should wash their hands? The sink is on the wrong side of the door and it creates a roadblock. It's in the corner, very neatly done. 
And then, you know, there is no way the students can easily go and wash their hands because they will Great be colliding example. to each other and then half of them don't wash their hands. Yeah. <laughs> if you would be putting the sink on the other side of the door, you open up the door, students come in, they wash their hand and they go to their seat. Yeah. Beautiful. And all, all, all wash hand, their hands. And it's like a one very small kind of like no. design <laughs> fall from the user perspective, Yes. which could have been solved in five minutes if there would have been co-designing for the for the room. So so this kind of like the very small things can change a lot how well the school operates or the learning learning environment operates. Yeah. And and for that reason I think like the co-designing and co whatsoever is extremely important so that we would be more open to have these discussions and 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 kind of like creating ways that work for the end user uh, or for the for the student in in the best possible way fantastic oh, lastly that's such a it's such a tangible example and i think that language there of like design features in a physical space i think it's really it, it makes it so practical for all of us we can imagine the problem and the solution and so because I, I think you're so well placed and you're you know you really are mapping and and elevating the kind of leading innovations around the world in education. If we're sitting down having this conversation as older men, um, hopefully still fit and able as we are, <laughs> whatever, you know, um, in say 20, I don't know, 2036, you know, 13 years, someone starts school this year, they graduate in that year, for example. Um, what do you think some of the design features are of education systems what what can you imagine if we have this education transformed reality as one of the scenarios maybe the preferred future in our view what are some of the features of education systems like what's shifted what right what principles underlie you know and i'm thinking back to your idea of co-agency being one of the the features of that new system right that's been designed the kind of minimum viable system right or the the most preferred system, the MPS, whatever whatever the language might be. What what would you say to that? Mm, my hope and dream is that the grade levels would disappear. So when we kind of would go deeper to personalized learning and teaching yeah. experiences. Uh, Potentially, we could see different kind of ways to grouping the students and their competencies in different fields. And then the school could be more flexible as the world is more flexible. And the way how we work is coming more and more flexible um, at the moment. Yeah. So why wouldn't school, why, why couldn't school be flexible as well? Hmm. So, so what that could mean is that like, uh, for example, we have a lot of talking about inclusive learning at the moment. And we think like, how do we should kind of like have the special learners as a part of the normal school communities, how we should kind of like do all of that. Mm. And there has been very heated discussions about that in Finland. And sometimes I'm thinking like, what if the way we are trying to do this completely is completely kind of like, broken uh, for the future world mm. what if we would kind of like be able to to kind of like think somehow the um, uh, creating the students or kind of like putting them into a 
write learning pockets in, in different ways. Like why we have only one learning pocket, which is called grade two or grade three or grade yeah. four. Yeah. What if that could be divided on, on a different levels so, so that the learning could happen uh, in more collaborative environment um, and at the same time, you know, allowing the students to create their own social social circles and and find the friends from the school community why do we trap them uh, in a way to those grades <laughs> and then we think that this is the way how the learning should happen because it's just something that we have created yeah. you know a decade ago that we think like during this year these other things should should be learning and i think like for some of the special learners especially those are challenging but also those might be very challenging for the ones who have more tendencies to learn math or, you know, whatever. Uh, so then they are, in a way, once again, like trapped uh, with the things that they don't find interesting yeah. uh, in in that particular subject because they they could be already moving forward. And I think that is one of the key challenges we, what we should be thinking how to solve it. Somebody could maybe do the primary school in six years, seven years. Somebody could take 12. Mm-hmm. And, and if the end result would be that the both of them find uh, you know, opportunities for meaningful life and contribution in our societies. I think that would be beautiful. Mm. Mate, that's fantastic. I, I can really see that the vision. I mean, and I think if we go far enough out, this idea that a, a humanized education would mean every human is seen as irreducibly unique and therefore kind of beyond categorization. And it's interesting our small versus big data comment. It means that small data and qualitative data would be so elevated to say this is the the qualities of this human being, and they are they are ready for this level of instruction. I think AI will, if we design it properly, kind of enable us to to do that well. Um, but yeah, even the whole idea: will we even have school in twenty fifty? You know, that's a really provocative question. Or will we have these different types of hybrid learning environments? Or global giants or will there be a return back to that which is most human i mean if you think pre-industrial era you know we used to learn we used to learn in multi-generational ways intergenerationally there would always be the elders with the young ones and then the kind of adolescents and everyone would kind of be in this learning situation in a village setting and we've kind of now what we've done is say okay well, let's take all the young ones let's put them all together and try to stop them from killing each other in some ways, you know? Um, or let's get them all kind of learning with each other as opposed to like the mentoring, the growth. And I, I feel like there's a really powerful insight to that. Well, mate, I, I look forward to... Yeah, and, and, if, and, uh, and, and if you think about like the learning environment, uh, yeah. designing at the moment. So, so at least what we are seeing is that like that starting to happen in some way. So we might be seeing, for example, kindergartens which are created in the same building with the senior housing. Yeah. So then yeah. you're kind of like having more of that generate like intergenerational um collaboration or it's easier to organize. Or we are seeing mm-hmm. like some community spaces are brought to the same buildings with the schools. So it provides like more possibilities to do something with the families and have a different engagement as a part of the uh, like a as a, there's a natural element of the of the learning uh, learning community as well, and I think like all of those are needed, uh, all all of these elements are needed, and I'm kind of like hoping that that we wouldn't see the school 
or these learning uh, places as a separate units where we kind of like send our kids and they are out of harm's way for some amount of hours and then they are coming back back to home but yeah. we should hopefully see them more as a as a part of the as a part of our kind of like community so that they are not isolated uh but those buildings and and those facilities could be also used in many many different ways mm. uh, and i think like that could also be very important from the economical point of view like we we build schools which might be then empty for two to three months a year uh when when those facilities are not used for anything yeah and and i i, I find that as a huge waste so so uh, we should be able to kind of like find ways to 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 kind of like collaborate more uh, yeah. with, with the learning organizations and and the campuses and all of that so that those could be part of our everyday lives in different ways i i love it last and both you and i quite connected to kind of the frame of learning ecosystems you know and i really think one thing that is guaranteed is the a shift away from the school as a single institution where you go from 8 30 to 3 30 towards the side of a full learning ecosystem that's informal non-formal like life wide life deep lifelong you know different communities coming in like a kind of a co-working space hub like you know really redesigning that and these learning precincts that we are seeing kind of being built out across the world not just in the startup space but in the educational space it would be interesting you go to kindergarten and then you end up in the old folks home you know that's across the road you know and you kind of, and that kind of becomes much more of a village cyclical orientation i think to the arc of our lives and and our contribution um and so i hope mate in 2036 or whatever the framing was i used you know we we can sit down and have a conversation and see how close we were and if the dream has come to pass in some ways um it's been wonderful to chat with you as always i my final question is what is your take-home message? What would you like to resonate in the minds of our wonderful listeners? Thank you for listening. You know, um, from your standpoint, when you look across the horizon of of education futures of transformation, I think I will uh, steal that MVP concept from Deepak and remember to have your minimum viable pause. It's beautiful and yeah and, and use that moment to think about something that you like or something that yeah that that has been wondering you or just to do nothing relax your mind for a moment and then you are able to move forward and do something more challenging in the next next moment so maybe that's the that's kind of like the message i hope people would remember mm minimum viable pause thank you very much lasse i'm going to take that into my day tomorrow um thank you for sharing uh the work that you're doing your perspective you know from 100 but also beyond um congratulations on becoming a father that's not you know not public really, but it's fabulous journey so now it's all personal for you um but yeah it's been wonderful to have you as part of this education transform series Yes, and now you understand why these pauses are so important for me. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Go well. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for this look at this. That's mate, a lot of fun. Fantastic. I say really fantastic. I love the work that you're doing. Um, so good, you know, and I think the way you look at education transformed and that, that part, the really poignant piece that I'm taking away is how do we let, how do you get people to let go? 
you know, and do less? Like, how do we support schools and and systems, you and I and organizations and our work for the decades to come to really be bold in letting go of stuff? Because it feels like everyone doesn't want to touch the sacred cow, you know, like, and let go of it, you know, kill, kill the faculty structure or the grade levels. People lose their minds, you know, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's boldness ahead, I think. Very good. All right. Well, but hey, right. I'll leave you to it, mate. That we have some work to do. We always, always work to do. <laughs> Thanks I will, so much. I'll see you later this year. Always well, mate. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Go well. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.